Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the program. Just got two quick topics that I want to get through today, and I wanted to say thank you to all of you for your bit of patience for the uh, less content over the weekend, and to Mile High Sports for letting me take a bit of a, a fun family weekend there, and You know, sometimes it's really nice to not have to have an immediate reaction to the, quote, worst loss in franchise history, and certainly by uh, run differential it was, right? Um, And by the way, the reason I put quotes on there is because, to me, worst losses are games you should have won that lost, that that, that you lost at the last minute, right? Uh, To me, it's much worse to lose any game where you were up, say, three or four or five runs in the ninth and you end up losing, to me, that's a worse loss than getting beat 25 to 1. And the reason is, and this is the first topic that I, I want to talk about, the the big loss and kind of the stuff around it and, and the conversation around it, right? And, and then at the end, I'm going to talk about the young players because I think that's, as I'll talk about, what the focus should be. But this is why in a sport where there are 162 games, I have a difficult time when so much of the conversation in these moments is driven by people who aren't watching the team, haven't watched a single game this year, looked in, saw a ridiculous box score, tweeted out, sell the team. And I'll just say this, your analysis on where the team is or isn't, uh, um, whether or not they should sell or not, none of that should be changed by a 25 to one loss to the angels on a random June evening. Like that's not, it doesn't mean anything right i know a lot of folks would have you you believe that it's indicative of just how truly terrible this team is but one thing that a lot of people glossed over is that the game that previously held the record for the rockies biggest run differential loss in franchise history came in 1995 one of the best rockies teams ever team that made the playoffs Now, that is not me. Of course, if I were to tweet something like that out, right, the immediate reaction would be, how dare you say that this 2023 team can still make the playoffs and compare them to 1995? That's actually precisely the opposite of what I'm doing. What I'm trying to show is how random those massive losses are, right? And when we say, oh, it's the biggest one in franchise history, you know, the the Rockies score a couple of runs or the Angels score a handful less and it's not, but it doesn't make it tangibly less bad. It was a horrible game. And these types of uh, runaway games, by the way, are becoming a lot more common in baseball just across the board because of the way managers are, are managing their bullpens and recognizing that once you're down 13 to nothing in the third inning, you just kind of have to throw out all your worst relievers and then move it over to position players, right? And that didn't happen. Even when I was a kid, position players just did not pitch. It was extraordinarily rare. It happens with some frequency now. We, we see it maybe not probably not every day but multiple times a week across baseball it'll happen and when you've got position players out there pitching or other things like oh look the Rockies some of that was on their own guys too and I'm not going to dive into the details of that game because the, the point of it is yeah it's one ball game and I knew the the safest bet in the history of baseball for you the you, you folks that like to bet anytime a team loses like that bet on them to win the next day every single 
time because baseball's hilarious like that, right? Momentum is just the next day starting pitcher. Whatever was going on in that ball game, if you needed any more proof that it was an isolated event, it's that the Rockies won the dang series, right? And that's why you shouldn't get carried away with analysis of, and that's, by the way, also true of the handful of ball games every single year that your team will win. You know, probably usually more 16 to 3 or 2. Once it starts getting into the 20s, yeah, you start looking at history and stuff. But it's a mechanism of the same thing. The ball game that gets completely out of hand. There are going to be a handful of those each season. I feel like I, I get, I've given this speech, well, how long have I been? This is my 11th year, so I've probably given this speech 11 times. Or or maybe a handful more because the Rockies do have, have some rough. And, and it's, of course, not entirely unindicative of the fact that this team... The roster is in a rough spot. The starting pitching is all on the IL. The the team wasn't talented enough to compete from the start. All things which anyone who's listened to this show regularly know I've understood from the outset. And another reason why I think it's a little bit weird to, yes, in my mind, overreact to one game. Or even wins and losses this season. Y'all know what it's been here from day one. I told you. In spring training. Day one with Kim on the AMAs. Wherever you're following it, I repeat it everywhere I go. This season was never going to be about wins and losses. It was always going to be about a particular group of players who some of them are going to prove that they're a big part of the team's future and some of them are going to prove that they're not. And and both of those things are vital bits of information. And that's what this season has to be about. So I'm going to get back to that in just a second. So we're focusing on that. But to put a bow on the first thing, I know it's frustrating, folks. I know none of us like to watch. I, I think the, the frustrating part and, and the disconnect and the reason why it's probably good that I'm doing this conversation today and not the day after it happened is because I know most of us just want to watch quality baseball and we just want to watch our local team not be embarrassing. And there have been several times this year where the Rockies have been flat out embarrassing. 25 to 1 is embarrassing. Right, you're leaving the ballpark in the third inning. You're turning it off. The hardcores, the season ticket owners, the you know, I know people who never turn off ball games, who turn that one off in the fourth inning. Right, I also know hardcores who watched the whole thing and and people who stayed. But I get it. I I understand the in the moment emotional frustration of just not wanting to be that embarrassingly terrible. That doesn't really change the underlying fact, right? Whether or not this team wins 72 games, which I think might have been my preseason prediction before the entire rotation went down, so probably closer to now, you're looking at 66 to 68. It That doesn't matter. There's no other than the draft pick that you get. So in that sense, the people who want to do the tankathon thing the people who've always wanted the rockies to rebuild and tank and all of those things should be happy about this stuff by the way so it's always weird to me when the people who promote this type of losing and then when the rockies do and they were forced into essentially having to hand a lot of playing time over to younger players because of a lot of injuries and a lot of things they weren't counting on and so they're playing a lot of the young guys And that leads to up and down games. And that leads to some games that are going to get completely out of hand. Right. But that's what you, that's what you experience in a rebuild. Just because the Rockies aren't saying the word doesn't mean that that's not what's going on right now. 
And so it's always been funny to me because I'll hear people insist that they would be absolutely okay with the Rockies being terrible uh, for the right reasons because then you would get the better draft pick and you'd be playing the younger players for the future. It's like all of that is kind of happening right now. I I do think the Rockies were kind of forced into it with injuries to Blackman, Crone, the entire starting rotation, Chris Bryant, right? That basically forced their hand. But still, it's what they're doing now. The young guys are out there playing. It's going to be ugly sometimes. It's going to be really exciting sometimes. And it's just always been my philosophy that you've got to divorce yourself from caring too much about the wins and losses in a season where the roster wasn't built to compete from the beginning. This was always going to be a transition year, whether the Rockies admitted it or not. And that's exactly what it's been. So in the same way that, to me, there's really no tangible, meaningful difference between losing 97 games or losing 101 games. I know a lot of people focus on that 100 number. I've always found it to be an interesting conversation that I don't think, you know, I don't think it matters. I do not think it matters if they lose 97, 101, other than the draft pick positioning. And if you want to get the number one draft pick, and I've talked before about how there's also not a huge difference between, say, the number four and the number nine pick. Some draft classes, there is a big difference between having that number one overall pick and not. Uh, I'll have to learn a bit more uh, about the upcoming draft class to see if there are some major standouts there. But beyond that, in the same way, there's no meaningful difference between losing 17 to 1 or 25 to 1, except for the fact that one is historic and gets a whole bunch of people to tweet and talk about it, and the other is just really, really bad ball game, right? Or 15 to 1. Those are fundamentally the same thing. So the reason I say all of that is so that I can say this. When you do step back, and, and somebody asked me this, and I got to give a, a shout out to my guy Dan in the Discord, uh, because he very reasonably and very respectfully said, all right, Drew, so what do you what do you say now? Like when it's, now that it's gotten to this point, right? So much losing lately, so much embarrassment stuff. What, what are, knowing who I am, what are the silver linings here? And of course, you know, I'm going to go right to the young guys, but it's worth at, at this moment having this conversation again and getting updated here and taking a look at, I think, first of all, you've got to start with Ezekiel Tovar. It's hard not to be extremely happy with what you're getting out of Ezekiel Tovar right now. The defense is world class. He's, if not a gold glove winner, a gold glove caliber shortstop right now at 21 years old. So when I talked at the beginning about how he's about learning things, that's a thing that we've learned. And that's a really important one. That is something you can absolutely build around. A gold glove caliber shortstop who's also now, as a rookie, already hanging in there on offense. Hasn't gone not so bananas uh, on the season still. 87 on the OPS plus, but the batting average up to 262, the on base 296. Would love to see a little more on base out of him, that's for sure. The slugging, as we've talked about a bunch, will be an ongoing conversation, but seven home runs out of your shortstop uh, to this point in the season at, at the 73 game marks, so not quite the halfway point. If you're going to get gold glove caliber defense and 20 home runs out of your rookie shortstop, that is a beautiful place to begin with the transition and the move to the next era. That is, to me, the single most important thing that's going on out there on the diamond right now. It's not the most exciting. 
uh, Nolan Jones and, and some of the stuff that Brenton Doyle was doing earlier. And, and that stuff can be a lot more exciting. I get that. But I think this Ezekiel Tovar thing is sustainable, very real, very indicative of the type of ball player that you're going to lock in there at shortstop for the next five, six, seven years. And if any point during that time, the Rockies are making a run to the postseason. And I believe that, man, their history shows that, again, Dick Mumford's old two out of every five years or whatever, right? And they don't even quite get to that. But two times a decade, the last couple of decades, well, they're, they're going to be due here soon. And he's going to be the shortstop. And a lot of people are going to be very happy that he is. All right, Nolan Jones obviously is tearing the cover off of the ball, and this is great, great news. As I just said, I'll, I'll use the word in the opposite. Now, I'm not sure it's sustainable. We've seen this. He's at 28 games now. I'll go ahead and give you the numbers because they're fun. Batting 316, on basing 391, slugging 551, the OPS plus of 143. Five home runs already in just 28 games. He's driven in 14. He's stolen five bags and has not yet been caught stealing because he's a good athlete and a good you know, sort of mind for the game, good base runner uh, type of situation going on. Uh, yeah, he's he's striking out a lot. 35 strikeouts to 11 walks. The 11 walks are nice, especially for a, a rookie, but... This was the profile we knew, and, and that is one of the big things that's got to give you pause as, as you, you know, don't get overly excited just yet. Well, get excited about the, the performance he's given out. It's always funny to me when people say that. It's like, just because it may not continue doesn't mean you can't just appreciate what it was. Like, I still sometimes think back on that one incredible month that Jeff Hoffman had, right? <laughs> you remember that, that May of, like, 2018, or was it 17, where Jeff Hoffman was fantastic. The rest of his Rockies tenure, he was terrible. But every once in a while, I remember that, right? Sam Hilliard had a month of just blazing production in a Colorado Rockies uniform. And I'll, I'll always remember that. But, you know, it didn't sustain... I see a few more things that are going Jones's way that I like. I like his mentality. I like his energy. He's a great athlete. He's a much better all-around athlete than I realize. I've talked about this a few times, defender, all of that. But for me right now, again, that is basically your second uh, thing to be most, probably the thing most to be excited about for right now, just as you're watching. But for the future, especially because, and, and maybe this is my own personal bias of, when they acquired him, my thought was, okay, this could be interesting. Uh, this could be a thing, as I've been known to say. Uh, but I wasn't blown away by the Nolan Jones acquisition. You know, there and there, the reasons why I wasn't are still some of the reasons why I'm pumping the brakes a little bit, despite how right now it just every time he comes to the plate, you're jazzed, right? He might hit a ball 490 feet. And he's putting together good at-bats, too. Right? Yeah, he's striking out, but he is taking us walks. He's had a decent number of base hits the other way so far. So, uh, And then in the clubhouse, there really couldn't be a much better guy to talk to. So you got to be rooting for Nolan Jones. All right, Brenton Doyle. Brought his name up a couple of times. He's been around for a good 49 games now, and the bat has almost completely disappeared, right? Uh, the, I, again, I try to warn everyone that this could happen with Brenton, uh, with just his profile in the minors with his hitting being much farther behind the rest of his game. 
he came out of the gates and started providing some offense right away. And that was pretty fun and exciting. He's definitely cooled off. He's batting only 212, on basing only 268, slugging only 371. He does have the six home runs, which are nice. Uh, that, that can always be a big X factor, despite these other things. When you're providing offense entirely unto yourself, uh, that's another category of things. So in 49 games, he's got 20 ribbies, which isn't uh, terrible. It's not a ton. And then you also have, of course, the X factor on offense of 10 stolen bases to only two caught stealing. So that when he does get on base, he tends to make the most of it with his base running. But I'm going to repeat something that I've probably said before, but it's worth repeating at this exact moment, which is right now. I really don't care that much how Brenton Doyle hits. It'd be great if he did. Of course, that would be a big thing, right? But what we're back to, what are we learning this year? Brenton Doyle is a major league center fielder based on all the other things are there, right? He's got an elite arm, elite speed, elite defense. The bat is behind. It's the work in progress. It, you do want to see it get better. You'd love to see it get to the point where, you know, the, the 65 OPS plus is pretty darned low, but you can live with him being one of those guys who's in the 80s or 90s if he's getting there through some pop. Again, a, a six home runs in 49 games pace is is solid. You, you'd like to see more out of that, but if your future is going to include popping the corners from, and I'm, I'm not doing a whole prospect thing right now, we'll do that in the next couple of days, whether Zach Veen and sad news there, I'll, I'll talk about all that. Yankel Fernandez, happy news there, and I'll talk about all that, but wherever you're getting that corner power, Chris Bryant, if he's still a corner outfielder, whatever, right? You, The Rockies, more than any other team in baseball, need an elite defensive center fielder and they've rarely ever had one and in the years when they have had some pretty darn good ones it's made a noticeable difference right even that 2017 that was probably the best trio of them from a defensive standpoint in terms of Willie Tavares who brought the extraordinary athleticism speed and all that stuff and then Spilly and Sully Sully especially who was uh, you know, really a sound defender who would make the great breaks on the ball and all the other things could be kind of the captain of the outfield, be positioned pre-play, all those kinds of things. Right, But there's so much ground to cover out there. You just got to be able uh, to have a guy who can go and do it. And also it helps if it's not a guy who your offense is mostly reliant upon right now. Obviously it's great if the guy can do absolutely everything out there, but playing course field center field is a wear and tear on your body. Ask Charlie Blackman, ask Carlos Gonzalez. They will tell you. And one of the main reasons why those guys uh, wanted to be moved over to the corners, particularly cargo was to preserve his legs for his bat. Right? So having a guy like Doyle, who can just go get it. Uh, yes, you want to see the the offensive numbers come up, but do, just don't underrate the value of potentially having found a center fielder that they have needed for a long time. And even if he ends up being like one of those fourth outfielder type of guys, somebody who in the future, if they do have an, uh, enough good ones come up, who can really rake, that Doyle becomes the center fielder who comes into the game in the sixth or seventh inning or whatever that you're using on switches because his defense is just so good or or he comes in on a switch uh, to pinch run and then goes out and plays defense, right? You can use him in so many ways. And then if the bat develops, then you're really onto something. But you've already got something here in Britton Doyle and that's pretty cool.
I don't uh, really have a whole lot to dive into with some of these other guys with like Michael Tolia. Like I said, that's sort of he's halfway in between big league guy and prospect right now. I do think that some of his struggles at the minor leagues are showing that the Rockies have been right, that he's needed a bit more extra seasoning in AAA and just throwing him into the fire of the big leagues wasn't necessarily going to be the best thing to do. So I think you want to make sure that Tolio's in the right place before you bring him back up. And don't forget that guys like Justin Lawrence and Jake Bird count as younger, you know, sort of prospect-ish guys who had a lot of question marks coming into this season. We really didn't know there was some great stuff there, uh, some great potential there, but you, you got to see it out there on the field. And I feel like with both of those guys, Lawrence and Bird, we've seen huge steps that they've taken forward. And I think those guys have, if not cemented themselves as part of your future, because they're relievers, because no reliever has ever cemented themselves as, as anything, but as close to a reliever can, right? Those are two things you feel like, okay, we've got these guys, they're, they're assets, whether they're guys that you're going to have around your team in the future, if they end up getting traded with this, that, or the other. Oh, and I'll get into it in, in the future, but the Mike Moustakis trade, I think, is another indication that whatever the Rockies say out loud, or do or don't do, right? A lot of people really down on that move and criticized it throughout the entire time he was here. But as it turned out, the whole thing played top to bottom was precisely right. They signed him for absolute league minimum. They got a great clubhouse guy, a guy who was able to provide a little bit of mentorship to some of these young players, a guy that somebody like Nolan Jones is going to absolutely be happy that he got to be around in the early parts of his career. And as it turned out, he ended up playing into a slightly above league average bat that was useful to a team that's trying to make a run for it. And the Rockies were able to flip him for some pitching. Perfect. That's, as as I said, when they acquired, the day they acquired him, if that is the ultimate goal, then fine. And for a guy you signed for league minimum and bat off your bench, what they got in return, and I need to do a bit more research, but any pitcher <laughs> is a good return. Right now it's time to do the same thing with Profar and on down the line. Right. So good on them there. But yes, the young guys. uh, So yeah, if you step away from, of course, they're losing games and yeah, they're going to lose some bad and ugly. But does that mean that the future of the team looks absolutely terrible because they lost 25 to one on Saturday? The future of the team will be determined by a lot of the players we've talked about today and several that we haven't, of course. But that's why I think it's important to step back sometimes, take that 35,000 foot view and say, yeah, how they played last Saturday isn't actually indicative of anything that's going to happen in 2024. But some of these things that we've talked about today, what Doyle is doing in center field, the way Tovar has cemented himself as the shortstop of the future, the way Nolan Jones has made himself a wild card, the relievers that you've gotten, again, not cemented, but they look pretty good, right? Do you need more? Absolutely. Is that Does that mean, hey, the, the future is going to be... But those from the beginning are the guys we've highlighted. Pay attention to these guys. This is what the season is about. And if, if you accept that, then there's some pretty good signs here for the future. As much as the present is just really tough to bear. So thank you for listening into this one. I do promise I'm going to dive into some more details on some of the further down prospects who are a little bit further away. Uh, from the big leagues at this point, of course, we got to talk about Zach Veen and all of that, and then dive into some of the veteran guys who I haven't been talking about. Who's doing? Got to talk a little Ryan McMahon. He's been having a fantastic season. Uh, is he going to be able to get himself into the All Star game? Is it going to be Elias Diaz? All of that. But 
Thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the podcast. I hope you all continue to be absolutely awesome out there. I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark.